0: Welcome to the Cracked Pods Podcast. This is Pastor Rebecca.
1: And I'm Pastor Chad.
0: And, um, well, our our text for this week was the story of Sarah's laughter when she finds out in her very, very old age she is going to have a child. Um, Mature. Mature age. Mature age. (laughs) She's going to have a child, and she laughs at the prospect, which... Um, pretty much every woman understands why she was laughing at that at the age of 70-something, I think she was. Should Abraham be. was 100 when Isaac was born, but she was a little younger, so she was, I think, in her 70s somewhere. Anyway, point being, I'm, f- like, pushing 50 here pretty soon, and I don't want kids, because, oh my gosh, just the energy involved in having to raise children at this age, and... Um, putting my body through that and all of that, I'm just going to say I hand it to Sarah for being excited about this. And I understand it's a cultural thing and whatever, but still, um, (laughs) this this would not be good news to me.
1: (laughs) To be fair, if you paid attention in like, what, seventh or eighth grade health class, you would know why Sarah laughed and you would laugh too. Yeah. I, I mean, let's just be honest. The, the human body was not designed to work in the way in which the story has the human body working, which sort of you know, leads to the whole miraculous portion. Child, child conception and birth is a miracle. Like, like it having been through it on the male end of it, as in in the room, um, it's a miracle that is sort of unfathomable in and of itself, aside from just the, the age the, issue, the maturity issue of, um, this the extreme maturity issue of Sarah in this text. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, um, we had an interesting way of writing this sermon <laughs> this weekend. Yeah. Um, pastor so, Chad was supposed to preach.
1: Yeah. So, so just an update. So we were, I was in COVID quarantine. Um, our, our daughter, our oldest daughter, Um, Friday morning, woke up and said, Daddy, I have a fever. We're like, oh, crap, she's going to die. Because, I mean, that's the kind of a little bit of a panic that sets in. Um, I am not a panicky father um, any longer. I used With my son, I was. With my son, I was like, oh, my God, he's sneezing um, and a runny nose and a slight fever. we got to go to the ER. Not quite that bad, but, yeah. Having experienced... Having had the opportunity, we'll call it an opportunity, to take a child who seems like they're extremely sick to the doctor's office only to find out when you get there, they miraculously, right be- five minutes before the doctor walks in, are perfectly normal. Um, and no, they're fine. Um, you know, this kind of, we, we've, we've, COVID has kind of caused us um, to sort of relook at things and go, oh, maybe we need to take this a little more seriously. So a few months ago, Anna Mae had a fever. Naturally, we're like, oh my God, she has COVID. It wasn't COVID The next day, we gave her some mocha. The next day, she woke up fine and and was not COVID. In this instance, um, you know, we had, so it's a holiday weekend, right? So everybody has plans. My best friend from seminary was coming down from New Jersey. I was going to meet her, her fiance, super excited, you know. So like, we need to know what's going on. So ran to one of the urgent cares and did the one hour COVID test. I don't know what it is. Um, got those results back, negative, Whew, man, crisis averted, we're good to go, um, you know, sat- Saturday morning, got up and went to the Mexican grocery store to buy all kinds of peppers and stuff that you can't find at Publix because Publix, sorry if this, sounds, if this is offensive to anyone, Publix is a white grocery store in this area, um, so those like authentically Mexican uh, ingredients they don't have at our Publix, um, if it's not old El Paso, um, they generally don't have it at our Publix. Um, so went to the Mexican grocery store, was leaving the Mexican grocery store and got a phone call from urgent care sitting there. Our daughter had, pe- had tested positive and I said, what do you mean tested positive? I thought she was negative. So we of course then go home, lock ourselves down and say, Hey, Pastor Rebecca. So, um, are you like it? to
0: preach tonight?
1: <laughs> you're it. You're preaching in like six hours. Um, so sent my sermon off and said, here, do what you need to do, whatever. Um, so we actually both kind of wrote a sermon for this, which is not our normal practice. No. Our normal practice is if I ain't preaching, I ain't writing a sermon because it's just from a, from a management standpoint, it doesn't make sense to have two people working on the same thing. It doesn't make sense. Right. So this week, we actually both kind of took, to some degree, a crack at... At this text.
0: Yeah, um, and what I did is I, I took what you sent me and, and was like, well, th- these parts will work for where you know, for, for, for what I what I would preach on and these parts won't. So I kept a couple of the things that, that you had, kind of the, a little bit of the beginning. Um, and I used, by the way, your um, example of the Krispy Kreme donuts. Yep. Because Absolutely. it was a fabulous example. Um, because Pastor Chad thinks living in Palm City, Florida, he will never have Krispy Kreme donuts again.
1: It's not easy to find them.
0: No, it's not. But Um, our deacon happened to be traveling through, was it Melbourne?
1: Yeah, she was in Melbourne. Florida, not Australia.
0: Yeah, Florida.
1: Um, And and on their way back, we're like, hey. So this is the funny part of the story. I'm sitting in my office Friday afternoon and working on some stuff. And I get a text message, are you going to be in the office in the next... Forty to forty-five minutes. I'm like, yep, I'm gonna be here late tonight. You know, not not a problem. And she was well, good because I have a yummy a yummy treat for you or something. I'm like, oh well, then I'm definitely not leaving like ever. <laughs> if it um, involves food, Chad Chad gets real excited. So so in the interest of full disclosure and public accountability, and I also posted these pictures on Facebook. Um, there were a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts that showed up in my office. Um, Sherry took two. One for her, one for Bruce. Although we should check with Bruce to see if Bruce actually got his donut.
0: Yeah, because that's, um, that's questionable.
1: Sherry may have eaten, eaten them in the car. And then I ate two in the office before I got home. So eight Krispy Kreme donuts made it from my office to my house, which in and of itself is proof that there is a God and there's a mir- and there miracles happen. Because eating a dozen of those things is like drinking a six yep. ounces of water. Anyway, so one of the interesting things for me that this text brought out um, and I also, I also put this in my sermon, and Rebecca left this part, of course. Um, when I originally did the calendar for this lectionary series, I miscalculated when, the, when our normal narrative lectionary starts. So this was not supposed to be a text that we were going to preach. Because earlier this year, we did preach on, or I did preach on this text, this exact same text, different portions of it, but the same story. So this was not, not going to be part of the lectionary. Um, the, summer, the summer series that we were doing. Well, it's been a really hard series. I think harder than we anticipated. Um, you know, we looked at it in the... In, uh, spring. In the spring. Yeah, thanks for the seasons. I was trying to calculate the seasons. We looked at it in the spring. And we're like, you know what? This, this could be interesting. You know, there's a lot of different topics. You know, this whole idea of unra- you know, unraveled because, you know, let's face it, lots of things are unraveled or unraveling. And this could be a really this would be a really interesting series to kind of tackle in this time and in this place and then we got into it and really started digging into the text and i think we both along with a lot of the congregation someone line went oh this is heavy
0: it was challenging
1: it was a lot of heavy topics i mean we talked about mental illness we talked about infertility. We talked, of, I mean, there were just so many just lament in general. I, I mean, it was just really heavy. And I think heavier than we anticipated. Heavier than I anticipated for sure.
0: Yeah, that Rizpatex, let me tell you.
1: Yeah, it was, it was rough. <laughs> it was a hard lectionary or a hard um, series to get through. Now, the interesting thing in my screw up, what inadvertently happened was we ended it with joy you know, unexpected joy and surprises, which in the grand scheme of things fit perfectly. It it really encapsulates what the gospel is. You know, you have all of the, all of the, the muck with an M of our lives, all the muck of our lives, but it's encapsulated and sort of wrapped up in the resurrection, the joy of the resurrection. So, you know, Maybe it's called one of those God things because I'd rather say that than, well, Pastor Chad screwed up the calendar, um, <laughs> which is absolutely true. and maybe that's proof that God can take the unraveling of Pastor Chad's calendar and calendar skills, and still there's joy and surprises, and God can overcome those things, which I just thought was a really interesting and unintended consequence of this le- of this uh, summer series.
0: Yeah. Um, it. it it was really kind of nice to be able to end on a much more joyful note, yeah. especially given last week's um, Legion text yeah. of uh, how heavy that was in terms of for people that are struggling. Um, this was, you know, it, it, it was all about uh, just how God surprises us when. And when we've resigned ourselves, and that's kind of for me where it was, where it's like, you know, how often in life do we just resign ourselves to this is just the way things are? Yeah. This is, this is and I know I do it right now, is I go, okay, this is, this is just the way things are. Now, part of it is accepting reality and not living in a fantasy world. And we need to do that. We need to not live in a fantasy world. We need to live in reality. We need to live in how things actually work and how things are. Um, The question, though, becomes more so, is this how it has to be? I think is the, the, the difference of saying, okay, this is how it is, but can it be different? Can we do something as human beings to make these situations different? And I think that's the difference in terms of you're not living in a fantasy world if you have hope that we could possibly change things and that moves us to be in different in the world as opposed to living in a fantasy land where you just deny reality right. and, and are just like, no, 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 this isn't how it works. This isn't what the world does. This isn't, you know, and that's and that's not a healthy place to be either because then you really are in trouble when when reality smacks you in the face. Um yeah. So there's this, this yes, this is, this is how our world functions. This is how it is. But Scripture gives us certain promises and says that the world can and should be a different kind of place than what we currently have. And I've talked about this ad nauseum in the past, um, you know, about how, what we, we tend to do is take those promises and make them all part of the afterlife and say, well, that's, that's not for this life, that's for the next life. That's not something that right. we can achieve here. It's something that, that God will plop us into um, after we're dead yeah. and raised back to new life.
1: So like in, in the context of this story, that concept, Sarah and Abraham don't actually have kids, but in their afterlife, they're rewarded with kids. In heaven, they're rewarded with kids, that sort of joy. but this you know, speaking into this text with what Pastor Rebecca just said, it's no God. God wants us to work for those things in the here and now, and not just wait until. It sounds really morbid. We'll just wait until you die and then you get everything you want. Right. Now it's not to say if you're you know if you're one of our seventy year old members of the congregation, particularly female, that you're, you're going to have a kid. Like. I, I,
0: and honestly, that one of the big, my biggest irritations in the world is when I do have a lament about the fact that I didn't ever have children. Um, when I was, I mean, so when I was two years old, I looked at my parents and I said, I'm gonna have a little boy and a little girl just like you, but first I gotta find me a man. And apparently that first part didn't work out. Therefore, the little boy, little girl that I was planning on having, um, because I can control that. Uh, <laughs> I can c- control whether I was going to have um, uh, boy or a girl or whatever, um, it, it obviously never came to fruition. And so, yes, I, I have a grief process that I had to go through, um, an accepting of reality. But also at this juncture in my life, um, recognizing at my age, I don't think I want to start new with kids at this point. Um, that ship has sailed, it's over, it's done with. So it can get very irritating when people will, you know, and I say, yeah, I'm really sad I never had kids. And they'll go, oh, well, it's not too late. And I'm like, you know, and they'll use the Sarah example. See what God did with Sarah. Um, It's not too late. You can still maybe have kids or you can adopt or you can whatever. And I'm like, but you don't understand. I'm beyond that now. It's that's that's not what I want. It's not. It, it's it's a different culture where I don't find my um, worth and being and whether or not I'm able to have children. Um, in Sarah's day, um, it was it was all about your 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 being able to pass on your, your husband's lineage, basically. Um, and that was what made you a good wife, was you could give them lots of children in order to continue to propagate, and so they became tribes and all that kind of stuff.
1: Which, which is the part of the sermon you cut out. So one of the things I talked about in my sermon was The Handmaid's Tale. Yes. Which is, and I, I yeah, I totally get it. I can go some places that you can't and vice versa. So The Handmaid's Tale, if you're not familiar with it, is, and you can, you can fill in blanks because I'm not 100, like...
0: Yeah, I, I read the book in college, so yeah. it's, so yeah, I just watched well-versed. it on Hulu.
1: Um, yeah, I'm a Huluer, um, not a reading The Handmaid's Tale. So, uh, so the premise basically is, uh, would you say post-apocalyptic America? Yeah. You know, so America is overthrown, and a new and a new nation, so to speak, is started in its place in this land. Well,
0: in in um, opposition to, there's still an yes. America, but there's Gilead is sort of like this this part of America right. that has separated itself.
1: Yeah. And it is, uh, ew, how do I want to describe the Christian, the Christian culture in Gilead in this show? Um, I'm trying to be respectful, and I was going to say, uber, uber, uber. Um, it's a militant,
0: um, conservative, and quite frankly, it's very interesting. Someone noted, there's absolutely no mention of Jesus ever. So it's yes. very
1: Old Testament-based. Yeah, based. It's, it's very Old Testament and very uh, man-first, women-subjugated, women are property which is kind of the point that I, was, that I was drawing into my sermon in that section of my sermon. Um,
0: it, it's, they, they, they claim Christianity and yet follow none of any of the New Testament, except for they'll have symbols of the cross, and that's it. That's all you'll get in terms of, yes. um, of Jesus-y stuff.
1: Yeah. So basically, in this in this in this series, the show, this series or the book, because I assume it's the same in the book, um, women are are kind of back to this 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 time frame of Sarah, where your property, your job is pretty much to reproduce.
0: Well, l- little um, backstory here: the problem was was that due to nuclear waste and radiation and all that kind of stuff, lots of women became infertile. Right. So they were facing a, a crisis of, of being able to have children. So they went looking for, basically, women they thought would be fertile, particularly women who had already had children.
1: Yeah, and then ceremoniously rape them yes. to impregnate them and subjugate them, and women weren't allowed to read, women weren't allowed to, you know, no education, all those things. So, I mean, we're kind of back, to, you know, this, this, this Sarah text, um, you know, same thing, you know, back to this idea that women's sole responsibility and worth um, is in the ability to rear children and if you and, and the ones who weren 't um, many of them were basically banished off if you didn 't tow the line to basically work crews um,
0: that were in radiation zones usually so yeah. you died of cancer and all kinds of yeah. fun stuff
1: yeah yeah Real, really up, uplifting and exciting stuff um,
0: yeah. and and you had the wives the sarahs basically that were were um, Part of the upper echelon, but we're unable to have children.
1: Yeah, and so not necessarily. I'm not saying that as as a as a pastoral recommendation for a series to watch. And I will give you, there's some graphic. Oh yeah, it's a, it, it's a there tough are parts of, that are graphic. So you know, if you are sensitive to those things, um, language, and I wouldn't say gratuitous sex, but there is sex and nudity in the show. Um, but it's it's interesting and scary from a from a from a from a pastoral standpoint, to watch how people have taken in the show scripture out of context um, and sort of ch- cherry-picked, and, and you're right, sort of cut off, again, Christian, but cut off the New Testament. I'm not sure how you, yeah. how you do that. Um, and still call yourself Christian because the whole, you know, Christianity and, and, and Jesus are kind of like...
0: The, the only part they thing. kept from the New Testament was keeping women silent. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they grabbed that part.
1: Yeah. Convenient. Yeah. Um, again, so it, it was, it was just really interesting. Um, I don't remember where I was going with that analogy at this moment. It slipped my head. Okay. Um,
0: you, well, you were talking about the mate mate's tale and how that relates to the Sarah text and, and, yeah, how and, and, and women being s- society improperly. functioned. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Women, women were, if you know, and your worth is your ability to have children, which is culturally, we're so far from that, and, and it's a good thing. I mean, yeah. that's not a complaint. Um, and, and, and also, women should have the ability to be able to lament not having children, whether they're not able to or, or whatever, whatever the reason. You know, it shouldn't be an either or. You can lament the fact that you don't have children and you can celebrate that if you don't want children, um, you can be like, oh, I can, it's, it's probably, an, I'm not gonna say that. It's, it's a different role, not necessarily bad, to be the, the fun aunt or the fun uncle. I don't actually have kids of my own, but I can take my nieces and nephews and I can go do all the fun stuff with them. And, and then, then dump then, them back off with their parents. And, and not have to deal with all the. The angst. All and the angst stuff. and all the other drama of parenting. Um. Well,
0: and I think with this text, too, since we're talking about these issues, um, understanding the subservient role of the handmaids, so to speak, um, that are both Hagar and um, uh, Bela and um, Zilpah, um, who were Jacob's, uh, his wives. Handmaids oral. that were used to to make the twelve tribes of Israel, um, and to understand how we have kind of come to understand those roles in terms of they were literally slaves and had no say in what happened to them. Right. So. While Hagar, of course, was very happy in terms of she was able to give Abraham a child, she really didn't have a lot of the, the power dynamics and that kind of stuff. She didn't have a whole lot of say in what happened because she was a slave. So, um, the and and you know I I got out of seminary a little over twelve years ago, so this would have been um, about fifteen years ago while I was in seminary and taking an Old Testament class. It was earth shattering to a lot of people when one of our Old Testament professors basically said Abraham raped Hagar because she had no say in it. And the outcry from a lot
1: of the male students was
0: like, oh, no, you can't, you know. It's like, no, that's not what it is. That's not what what it is.
1: What was the argument? Was it the modern day argument? She wanted it or she asked for it or she was wearing it? It was her role.
0: It was her role, so it was okay.
1: Oh, it was, was her who? role
0: in society. It was what she was there for.
1: She was there to be raped.
0: Well, they didn't want to call it that. That was not what it was. For no, them.
1: but I, she was but, there to be raped. Yes,
0: yes, and but that was and for them because she was happy about it, because, it. therefore, it wasn't considered rape because it was something that it was expected.
1: Just to be clear, it's rape. Oh, I know. No, I know. I'm... I know. Yeah.
0: Um, anytime you have a power dynamic like that and you don't have a choice in whether you can say yes or no, um, yeah, and, and she had no choice. Now, the fact that because of the way the culture was set up, she wound up being happy about it because she was able to do what Sarah couldn't um, and that made her you know, feel superior in whatever ways. Um, that's 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 its own issue of of <laughs> what was going on. It
1: elevated her higher in the eyes of and in the lower class. So in ranking, she was upper upper slave. <laughs>
0: yeah, but you notice that that there was no hesitation really to get rid of her when she became a little too uppity.
1: Right, because um, she, she served her purpose. She yes, she had the kids. And so. when she
0: became too uppity. Um, Sarah was like, um, "I want her gone." Yeah. So. Which,
1: which, okay. So we're at that. We, we just passed that point in the Handmaid's Tale show where you know the the uh, the commander's Janine. the commander's wife was done with the with the handmaid. She was pregnant, about to give birth. She said, oh, by the way, once you give birth, you're out. Yep. She was getting a little too lippy, a little too comfortable. Sorry, I don't want to hear you anymore. You pop out the kid and peace out. You're gone.
0: Yep. Go elsewhere. Yeah, Um, but like I said, this was only 15 years ago that to say what we just said was met with heads exploding and people just going, what? what?" So this is not like it's um, a, the mindset is that far gone, that, that all of that was okay.
1: Oh, it, it, not far, not Mar- even Margaret so far. Atwood wrote
0: her book in the '80s, which means even though we were maybe horrified to some degree by what we were reading, I don't think we internalized or recognized that that actually really was what was kind of going on. Let, um, let's, let's just be. We thought talking. it was an extreme interpretation of the text in the '80s and '90s.
1: So, um, so that's concerning. And I think for me, what's, what's more concerning isn't that people view it as an extreme um, interpretation of the text. I think what's, I always go back to, okay, great, this is what it says, what's happening? You know, what's, what's going on now? What's the here, what's the now? And I think sometimes we're quick to say, oh, well, that can't happen here, or that doesn't happen now. And I think if we're really being honest, and we, and we look at, at some current events um, and women and women's rights, um, we are going down that we are going down that road a little bit where you know, women aren't necessarily having choices with some things
0: yeah um, so in 19, for instance this would have been
1: you know reproductive rights if you go and say, "I want to get a hysterectomy or um, with vasectomies, the male version.
0: Yeah, we get hysterectomies. T- tubal ligation. Tu- tubal ligation. Yeah, yeah. that's it.
1: Um, In some places, you have to have your husband's permission to get your tubes tied.
0: So a friend of mine has polycystic um, ovary syndrome, which is you get lots of cysts and stuff on your ovaries and it causes lots and lots of problems and makes you a good candidate for things like ovarian cancer, et cetera, et cetera. So her doctor recommended she get a hysterectomy. The insurance company refused to cover it unless her husband signed off on it and she's single. So, I mean, you know, there's, there, there are those issues. They're, they're, they're out there, they exist. Right. Um, now,
1: now, I will say that I think it is um, maybe not the healthiest marriage that, that two partners don't have that conversation. Right. However, to legally require it for action. Our, our,
0: our job is not to, to police how their marriage functions.
1: Right, exactly. And,
0: and what their relationship is like. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's between them. <laughs> yeah. um, but. It's,
1: it's, it, it sure as hell isn't the insurance company's business.
0: No, it is not. Uh, but anyway, it, it, just to highlight that th- those issues continue to exist um, with, with women's health care, especially. Um, and to, I, and I'll tell you, back in when I first read the book, and I read it in 1991, 92, somewhere in there. It was my freshman year of college. It was for freshman lit- literature class. Um, but I like sci-fi type things anyway, so when I read it, I was like, oh, this is my kind of book. <laughs> I was like, all right, this is what you get to read in college, yes! Um, so I read it, and I remember at the time thinking, oh my gosh, this is, I know where they're getting it from in terms of, you know, the, the Bible, the biblical story, or whatever. But I was like, but this is ridiculous. It's like, this is not something we're ever going to do. This is just, this is just silly. Um, I don't know that I can say that now. I don't know that I, I find it as silly. I, I see that, that there there is the potential within a society to regress to those kinds of behaviors. Yeah. And and understandings. And so that's that's a little scary. But I think we also need to focus a little bit on how scripture itself kind of undoes a lot of um those kinds of understandings if you kind of keep going through scripture. Um, one, of, one of the things in terms of you know having all these different concubines and whatever, one one of the lessons I learned in seminary when reading these stories was so how did these how do these stories work out in terms of interpersonal relationships between all the people involved? And they never turn out well. Um, Leah becomes jealous of Rachel. Rachel becomes jealous of Leah, um, and their sisters, and, and it puts, it's a real rift between them. Um, obviously, there's a huge rift between Sarah and Hagar um, because of uh, you know what what goes down, and it's just it's it, it re- is a good reminder that just because something is in the Bible doesn't mean it's a good idea. Yeah. Um, just because something operated a certain way and God went ahead and used and, and blessed whatever you know, function was, was happening within that society does not mean that is what God intended or how God wanted us to live and to be and whatever. Because if you read these stories, the, the interpersonal relationships are just messed up um, and create all kinds of strife, all kinds of problems. Um, and and usually lead to nothing good, uh, other yep. than God decides I'm going to make this good. So um, there's you know these these handmaids and whatever that get get used, and He makes the 12 tribes of Israel out of, of that, and, right. and that's a and that's a positive thing. But is that the way it had to go down? Not necessarily. Yep. Um, when you get to the New Testament. And you get to um, marital relationships, for example. And you get to a text like Ephesians, Ephesians 5. Now, that a lot of times can be used as a clobber text against women. Because it says, see, um, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And what they usually neglect to do is use verse 21, which is the verse right before that text, that says husbands and wives submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, The whole notion and idea there being, it's a mutual thing. This is not one being over the other. It is, and so there's three verses that are spent on telling women how to behave. There's nine verses spent on telling the the, the men how to behave because guess what? Women understood how to be subservient. They knew it. They understood what that meant. They, 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 that was their culture. They understood it. So there's this whole bunch of then explanation to the men saying, hey, um, you're supposed to love your wives and like not abuse them and not treat them horribly because guess what? You're supposed to treat them the way you treat yourself. And that undoes any notion of, um, I get to do whatever I want because I'm the man of the house. Yeah. And so... My house doesn't
1: work that way. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I, but, the re, but the reality being is is you have to, within the New Testament structure, look at how it is trying to kind of, under Jesus, get things sort of back into balance. Um, and the, the the battle of the sexes is, is sort of in there. I, um, I, th- I
1: think you could just go through scripture, old yep. and new, and just ask the same question from every single text. What am I supposed to learn about the relationship dynamic? Does mm-hmm. it fit with God and does it not? Yep. Because, I mean, again, and I've, if you ask me what scripture is about and give me one word to describe it, I'm going to tell you it's relationship. Yep. Relationship. Every single time. With one another and with God. Yeah. And I think, you know, so often, you know, we take things out of context. We put things in that aren't there. We want to make things sort of fit our, what's comfortable for us. I get that. But ultimately, it's always, always, always about relationship. And, you know, I... I, We, we meeting Christianity, Christians, we use the Bible in in so many unhealthy ways way too often and marginalize way too many people. And I think if we just go back to what are we called to be as Christians, as it, in terms of relating to one another, we'll be further ahead, you know. This whole idea of Sarah and Hagar and you know, procreation, the Christianity is used a lot to talk about sex in our society. Um, I don't, we, there was a rumble of thunder. I don't know if just saying Christianity is used to talk about sex and got a <laughs> You <thunder>.
0: have, <laughs> um, you have invoked.
1: <laughs> but I, you know, I think the reality, if you look at it, sort of the prohibitions that, that are often used in scripture are warnings about relationship, you know? And if, if you're having, if you're in a healthy relationship, it's just a different context, but so often in scriptural context, text, the historical context um, of the time, women were property. Yep. So you can't use some of those texts to dictate how relationships are and aren't supposed to be when our historical context is critically different than what it used to be. Now, if you want to argue that women are still supposed to be property, good luck. You're not going to get that argument from me, and you're not going to get that argument from anybody sane, and I'll just say it, like... That's just that's just not the world we live in, nor is it the world we should live in. But it's a different context.
0: Yeah, different context, different world, a different way of 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 looking at things and being, etc. Um, but it, it I, I, there, I don't know who said this. This is you know, it's an it's an old saying. Um, you can make scripture, if you, if you torture it long enough, it's like, a you know, if you torture scripture long enough, it's like a torture victim. You can make it say whatever you want it to. And, and you, can, you can twist it and you can, you can grab certain pieces of text, pull them out of context, and you can make your argument that, well, scripture says this. And I think the, the scene of, of, of Satan tempting Jesus is a perfect example of this. Yes, uh,
1: yes, yes. Satan
0: yes, yes. uses scripture. He knows scripture. He utilized scripture. He used it on Jesus to try to tempt him to do certain things. And Jesus always shot back with, well, guess what? Scripture also says
1: this. Yeah.
0: And I'm not going to do it because and you can, of this. You
1: can really make scripture say whatever you want if you're willing to cut out the entire New Testament.
0: Yeah. Well, and let's <laughs> not even say that. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff even within the Old Testament. I mean, you... If you start talking to some of these rabbis um, yes. and their views, I mean, they're female rabbis, there are um, they they have a very nuanced understanding of of the sc- same scriptures we do without the New Testament that can lead them very s- into very similar places we go because let's face it, I mean the New Testament is just Jesus reinterpreting the Old Testament. Yes. It, it's, he's not introducing really anything new from the standpoint of the stuff is all there. It's just how it was lived out and practiced. Um, you know, I've said this before, you know, his view of the poor and whatever. Go to the book of Deuteronomy if you want to know what God thinks about caring for the poor. I mean, it's all laid out right there. And Jesus just goes back to it and says, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. You just aren't going to do it. And... So, you know, I, I get a little hesitant, you know, saying, well, there's New Testament versus Old Testament. New Testament is just a reinterpretation through the lens of Jesus um, of, of the Old Testament. And I guess that's why I have never had that, that adverse reaction to the Old Testament because I recognize
1: it, it, it's all still in there. It's harder work. Because there's, I feel like it is harder work. It's a lot to, harder work. And there's a lot to sort through. Yes, a it's a much bigger
0: through. volume of, yes. of history and texts and literature yep. and, and sifting through all the stories and figuring out um, where the gospel is in there.
1: So yeah. how are we doing on time? Um,
0: we are at 38 minutes.
1: Okay, because I want to make sure that we save time at the end to kind of do what we hope that this text would do and sort of wrap up this podcast with joys.
0: With joy and good news, now that we've talked about all the bad parts.
1: Right, and I mean, and there is. There's, I mean, again, turn on the news, flip on social media, and you can find something to be angry about, mad about, upset about, cry about, probably all of those things. And in the end, there's, there's also joy and unexpected surprises. Sarah and Abraham had every reason to lament the fact that they couldn't have kids. So much so that they, you know, sort of, um, well,
0: well, and, and I think kind of where I went in my version of the sermon, um, was the, the notion of, um, you know, when, when we see everything kind of around us or whatever, we can get resigned to it and, and not have hope, et cetera. And I, I think it, no matter where you are located in terms of either politics or so, you know social whatever, I don't think anybody is overly happy with everything that's going on. No matter which side you're on, hope you're not happy with it. I'd you hope want not. to see something different. Yep. Um, and now we have very different versions, I think, of of what would make for a good society. Um, But I think ultimately that's what people are trying to do is they want to make society better somehow. It's just we fight about how we do it, and in the meantime, we wind up making it worse for everybody (laughs) instead of better. Um, And for me, the hope that gets held out within Scripture is that that is not how it's supposed to be, and that is not how it will always be. Right. And so our... You know, I think a lot of us are like, we're always going to have COVID. We're always going to be dealing with this. This is just, you know, we resign ourselves to this. And there is the reality that yes, we probably will have this disease around to deal with for some time. Um, I don't know if it'll be forever. It might be. It depends on, you know, if we're able to eradicate it somehow. But you know, they they always still live in some little little place. You know, those viruses never seem to quite die out completely. Um, but you know, the reality being, you know, one of these days we will get back to doing life kind of sort of normal. The question that we've had for the past year and a half is, do we want normal?
1: Yeah, I guess it depends what, so I don't, so for me, I can answer that pretty definitively. I don't want what our, I don't want what our normal is. Right. Um, I want better. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I, that, that's, that's one of the things that drives me um, just in general. And, you know, I get, we both get kind of dinged from time to time about, you know, complaining, I don't want to say complaining about things, preaching about things that are uncomfortable. And, you know, each and every time it's out of a spirit of, of wanting to improve things. Not that things are terrible. Um, some aspects are not good right now. Let's just be honest. I mean, COVID yeah. cases are through the roof.
0: Or, so. or people think we're somehow um, accusing them personally of being X, Y, or Z. Yeah, yeah You yeah. know, yeah. Within, within a societal problem.
1: You know, and, and and maybe for me. So I, I grew up playing baseball. Loved playing baseball. Um, still deeply passionate about baseball. Um, and I think that. I think that baseball culture, for lack of a better way to put it, has kind of seeped into my veins. Um, So how do you get into the the baseball Hall of Fame? Well, if you bat 300, you're in the Hall of Fame. So 300 means you get 10, for every 10 at-bats you get, you fail seven times, seven times. There's a lot of room for improvement. The reason I love golf, same thing. No matter how well you play, you can always look back and go, "Oh man, if I wouldn't have shanked that shot or if I wouldn't have missed that putt or if I would have hit this instead, it could have been could have been better." And I think, you know, that that part of me of of you know not being satisfied with, "Oh, this is just how things are." Or things can't improve, or just accept things the way they are, you know that just doesn't that just doesn't really sit in my in my world in my brain. So you know I I've been accused um, of being unpatriotic, and I'm like I'm not patriotic. I just want better for our country, you know I want you know when you know when um, we say. We the people, I wanted to be we as in all the people, and I wanted to be, include everyone, you know, not just, not just a part Super of society, rips. you know, everyone, if you're, period. And, and I'll take it a step further as a Christian, which, you know, I, again, I may get dinged for this, my Christianity supersedes my citizenship. Um, and, and maybe that's... Your he-
0: national citizenship.
1: Yes, my national... As opposed
0: to your citizenship in the kingdom of God.
1: Yes, thank you for clarifying that. Um, but and, and, and I say that simply because God comes first, and there are times when we do things as a country that doesn't necessarily align with my faith. Nope. And... I, and, I, I think and, you have to, which, call which th- can
0: cause us to become critical, which then makes us quote unpatriotic, unpatri- right? Because right. we're we're trying to hold um, our nation to to a better standard in terms of how we understand what God wants for, exactly. how, for us to live as a society, um, and not that we need or want a theocracy in this country, um, right. but at the same time, as Christians, when we see this as something that is beneficial, no matter what religion you are. In, that this this is a way to live that is is beneficial for everybody
1: yeah absolutely. regardless
0: of what you know who your God is or whatever um, but I, I have the opposite problem with golf um, my problem with golf was I'm so bad at it I gave up. <laughs> it, it was not I can do better It was I'm done <laughs> Now maybe that's not the best way to approach it But I also recognize there's some gifts I have And some gifts I don't And golf is not one of my gifts And uh, admittedly my, my reaction to things I'm not um, That I'm, I'm really really bad at is to let the people who are good at it do it, and I will walk away from it. And, uh, but that perhaps is not the best analogy for when we're working on the kingdom of God.
1: <laughs> yes, although I will say I invoke um, God's name uh, in unholy ways sometimes when I play golf.
0: There and you go.
1: I confess to that now yes. and regularly on the golf course um, because golf is a game that yeah. challenges your patience. But, but... Um, one of the things I enjoy about golf is being able to be out in God's creation and usually with friends. Hey, guess
0: what? That's what we're going to talk about this weekend. Creation, that's creation right. Creation we're and our place off, in it.
1: Yeah, we're starting off the, the narrative lectionary. This year's John's Gospel, I believe, but we won't... Yes, we, we which won't...
0: is very creation-oriented as well.
1: Yeah, I don't like John's Gospel. We, we'll, we'll deal with We've that. We've been through that, yes. Yeah. I
0: love it. You hate it.
1: Um, So we, we tackle, we won't, but we won't tackle John's gospel until Christmas, until after Christmas. Yep. So next week is, is, um, creation as we start our trek through the new Testament, beginning in Genesis. But before we wrap up joys, so it's been a bad year. Like last year and a half has had like an immeasurable amount of challenges. Um, what's a joy over this past year in spite of all the challenges.
0: Um, my, my joy was both a, a challenge and a frustration, but it was a resolution of it that brought joy. Um, that I, There was a point where I didn't know I was ever going to have a resolution to it. Um, but I, I, I had to basically help a neighbor who was getting evicted, who came and lived with me for months. And it, it got really hard. Um, just two very different personalities trying to live together kind of thing. And I had a couple of very unexpected joys from places I did not expect. Um, Part of the problem, obviously, was um, helping her out financially in some way to get her to be able to live on her own. And as we have discussed many times, um, there is no affordable housing in this area. And so I I was kind of despondent and and a little bit resigned to... I'm never getting this person out of my house. <laughs> like they're they're going to be living with me forever unless I, I get really callous and and tell them to go live under the the Jensen Beach Bridge, which I just could never bring myself to do. And inexplicably, random person off of of all places Twitter, um, messaged me and offered me some money, basically, to to help get her back on her feet. And it was a completely just free gift. Um, you know, this isn't a loan, this isn't whatever. I did not know this person. I had no clue who this person was, just this random person who, and, 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 you, know, and you get cynical. So I, I kind of laughed a little bit. I was like, yeah, okay, right. I was I sort of like like, Sarah, I laughed a little bit and was like, yeah, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, the check arrived, and it didn't bounce. And last week, this person was able to move to Chicago, which is closer to her family, um, and where she can afford um, affordable housing there. She can, she can actually get into the affordable housing, because she can't get into it here, for what little of it exists. And, but this gave us the means to pay for her moving costs that, you know, was thousands of dollars, which neither one of us had um, to get her from point A to point B. So this was, in my world, my miracle. This was just, I mean, I was in tears. This was just this, this, this surprising, joyous miracle that occurred um, out of the blue. And I will say it happened literally... Within 24 hours of me, like, just kind of having a breakdown, crying to God, going, I don't know what to do about this situation, but it can't keep going the way it's going. I, I have to do something. I'm going to go insane. Um, <laughs> but I don't, want, I-, I don't want this person to be hurt or to suffer or, you know, to be destitute or whatever. But I just, I don't know what to do. I need help. And the help came.
1: Praise be. See what I did there, right from, I did. Right from I, Handmaid's Tale? Yes. Praise be. Praise be. Although it is a valid a valid response. It is
0: a valid response. Um, so that was my, that, I mean, I, I felt that was a little too complex to go into in a sermon. Yeah. To tell that story. Um, so I didn't. Um, but that was, and that's why I used yours instead, because it was a much lighter <laughs> kind of nicer uh, sort of story but I mean this one it was deep in terms of just it, it, it was this unexpected surprise and a joy to be able to both feel like I had fulfilled doing my, what I needed to do to help this person Yeah, and didn't in the end fail them in some way by just finally going I can't do it anymore which I think a lot of us, that's the problem when we try to help people, we get to a point where we're le- like, we just can't do it anymore. Yeah. It's either too much of a drain on our own finances or our patience or whatever. Um, so, prayer, yeah. <laughs> prayers were answered and uh, it, it, it has resolved itself. Um, yeah,
1: those stories don't always end out, don't always end with happy endings. No, they don't. And, you know, for the most part, this one did. Um, and I hope, it, I hope it comes to fruition all the way around that it, that it does have a happy ending. We did something similar. We had some, we, in Gainesville, we had someone live with us who was homeless and it didn't turn out as, as well, unfortunately. Not gonna go into details, but just didn't turn out as well and yeah. for them and you know, in spite of our efforts and that was sad. Um, so you know, this, again, been a really rough year yet. Um, My son graduated college this year, woo-hoo. That's an accomplishment. I know, Um, you know, we bought a house this year. So, you know, even in the midst of what has been a really challenging year and, you know, certainly, you know, extra stressful, um, you know, another joy, you know, to be, I don't want to give people big heads or anything, but we're blessed to work and serve in a congregation that, largely speaking throughout this, this pandemic has been hugely supportive and made really good decisions and dedicated a ton of time to making those right decisions. And all along, you know, being supportive and caring for, for us as leaders within the congregation. And, you know, that is not, that's not off, that let's that, just say that's not always what happens in congregations. Um, and I think you know this year has, has sort of you know affirmed that this is an amazing community to worship, to to be a part of, um, and to worship with. Um, as evidenced, you know, this this weekend, you know, I had Pastor Rebecca notify the congregation that we were in quarantine and, you know, weren't here this weekend. Um, and we were a little vague on the details because we were still kind of trying to sort through what, you know, what was going on, and. You know, our, I, I don't, I want to say my phone blew up, but we've, we got several messages um, from people within the congregation. Do you need anything? Um, you know, I'm on my way to Publix. Do you, need, do you need me to pick anything up? Do you need me to drop anything off? Are you guys okay? You know, we're praying, you know, those types of things. So, I, I mean, things like that, that we often overlook in the mundane day-to-day lives, you know, where so often we get up, we go to work. Uh, We come home and and just repeat the cycle. We just, boom. So, I mean, there's so many joys. And then of course, you know, this weekend, um, you know, Penn State beat Wisconsin.
0: (laughs) I saw that.
1: (laughs) And Florida beat Florida Atlantic, which really isn't a thing. So from a college football standpoint this weekend was really good (laughs) for me as well. And Nebraska
0: won a game.
1: Wow, did they play the school of the blind?
0: Well, it was Fordham, you know. Okay, so almost. We, yeah, it, it wasn't exactly a, a resounding um, victory over a, a, a major school or anything. But we won a game, and that is what is important right now in Nebraska
1: football. That's the joy. <laughs> so, so go through this week. This is a homework assignment I'm going to give you from a podcast. I mean, whenever you're listening to this, whether it's today or tomorrow or next week or in a month from now, take the next three days four days five days and just think about the joys they're there focus on the good um
0: and as i'm not much saying can.
1: And i'm not saying we need to in unhealthy ways ignore what's bad and what's problematic but look for look for look for the good um look for the positives and and you know just let's let's celebrate those instead of it's okay to lament But let's not just lament. Let's balance it with looking for the joys as well. Great.
0: And next week we will be talking about um, the joy of creation. So we will see you next week. Praise be. Bye-bye. Bye.